Welcome back to Salted Hash. My name is Steve Reagan. Today we're going to talk about honeypots and some interesting things you can do with botnets. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Again, my name is Steve Reagan, senior staff writer at CSO Online and host of Salted Hash. All this week, I am out here at RSA in San Francisco. Today, I'm talking with Cyber Reason, and this is their CISO, Israel Barak. It's good to see you again, man. Thanks for coming out and hanging out with us. So you guys have put out a study here recently, and uh, you set up some honeypots, and you let the bots go nuts. So tell me about this, this research you guys have been doing, what you found out. Well, this time we've set up a honeypot that masqueraded as a financial services company. There was uh, about a hundred machines in the back end there, which you know included user behavior emulation. The honeypot itself exposed a number of services to the outside world, mail services, web services, DevOps services, and we basically try to build it as realistically as possible with a website, LinkedIn pages, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The goal was to really see how the bot landscape was changing in terms of what type of bots are we seeing out there, how prevalent they are, what are their operational goals, what do they actually do in their post-penetration phase. So how quickly, uh, once you got this set up online, how quickly did you start seeing bot traffic? Within hours. Within hours after setting up uh, the infrastructure, registering the new domain names, and getting the uh, internet connected, we got a hell of a lot of bot activity. So were you seeing just like basic level scans like you would expect to see across you know, a, a, an entire suite of IPs or were you actually seeing uh, brute force attempts and actual infiltration? So usually you see two types of bots. In this case, we actually saw a third type that became the focal point of our research. But the first two types are generally you know, gen level one bot is, is a bot that would take advantage of a vulnerable service to, you know, initiate or support one type of business activity. So they would take advantage of a vulnerable email server to send out spam, or they would take advantage of a vulnerable server to deploy a cryptocurrency miner or a DDoS bot. That's essentially what they do. A second level bot is a bot that tries to take information off of the server usually for black market resell, uh, information like um, you know, cookies, cash credentials, um, browser history, um, et cetera, et cetera, user information from the server, uh, payment card information if they're able to extract it from the server, uh, and then just resell that data. The third type of bot or the th level three bot that we saw, and that's definitely something that we did not expect to see, definitely not as quickly as we saw it and as intensively as we saw it, is a bot that doesn't facilitate one particular business activity, but actually opens up an infrastructure to a human attacker, does a lot of the grunt work for that human attacker before they actually let the person go in. So you're talking about a bot that, that exploits a, an external service or a public face service and then kind of sets up like the, the reverse shells or drops whatever payloads needs to be dropped and l basically clears the way for a human actor to sit down in the keyboard and be like, who's victim number five today? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's even more than that, right? So after the bot came in, this particular bot, they you know, established multiple persistence mechanisms on that vulnerable server with multiple backup users 
What kind yeah. of persistence were you seeing? So mostly persistence in terms of um, overriding operating system modules. So when the operating system reloads, the, the bot get reloads or its mechanisms get reload. Uh, backdoor is like using the hotkey mm -hmm. to be, you know, so you can get a shell even without logging into an RDP session. So a number of these persistence mechanisms, they're generally well known. It's just that in this case, they were set up by the bot as, you know, different options for the human attacker to come back in. Establishing multiple alternative user accounts. So if someone changes the password of the original user that the bot got in through, they'll have other options to come in through. But in addition to persistence and alternative authentication options, the bot actually did a lot of other things that established the business value for the human attacker to come in. It actually harvested information on uh, credentials, took credentials off of that endpoint, took uh, the history of the browser, where did this user go or what type of cookies can you find on that server? Uh, a, f a very long list of retail sites that it was looking for, financial services sites, dating sites, general web, uh, you know, w interesting web resources, valuable web resources, and it basically exfiltrated the whole thing alongside with network reconnaissance, the names of the machines on the network, and essentially built a business case for the human attacker to come in and see what they can get. So do you think the bot was actually building a profile so that later someone could say, all right, uh, here, here's Israel's company, and here's you know his account. We know what he's doing. We know why he's doing it. So for a thousand dollars, I'm going to give you everything you need to go find him, and you can have your, your do whatever you want to do with this company after that point. You think that's what they're building out? Or I, I think I think that there's definitely a probability that what the bot was doing it was building a post in one of those black market forums Maybe. for a machine for sale, because the type of data that was collected from the machine aligns very well with the type of data that you would see in one of these posts. Okay, so when you correlate the data being collected versus what you're seeing on the post, then at any point during this, this trial, you ran this for two months, right? Yes. About two months. Did you ever see evidence of a human actor interacting? Yes. So when you saw the human actor, what were they doing? So about two days after the bot finished its work, it took the bot, the bot worked for about two days, right? Collecting information, exfiltrating this, this information over the RDP channel. And then two days after the bot finished its work, we got a human attacker to come in. Now we know that it's a human attacker that used the bot infrastructure because of typos. two things. Oh, yeah. Typos. It's got to be typos. We, we, we actually away. haven't looked for that. You know, we, we, sh we should. But we, we saw it because of two reasons. But that's a great idea. We'll look for it. Um, number one, the, uh, the attacker that came in did not use the original compromised user that the bot got in through, but actually one of the users that the bot created. So we know that the that in, that new attacker used the bot the infrastructure that the bot laid out. The second thing, they used UI applications. They opened up Windows server management windows, interacted with those windows, right? Clicked in different places, changed server configuration, opened up additional command control options with WinRM. So we know that there's really no reason for the bot to do it, right? The bot actually did the whole thing with command shells, right, and API calls. It's really just a human that would open up those windows. Maybe not even a very sophisticated human. No, but did. I mean, yeah. It's, so then at any point, did it look like the human realized that, wait, this isn't what I think it is, mm. this is, or were they completely fooled by the setup? So the human attacker went in about two days after the bot finished its job and then decided what they want to take out. 
and they did deploy a mass mailer, a, a software called TurboMailer. Oh, okay. And yeah. that's, that's what they used to exfiltrate about three gigs of data from this environment. And they took out that three gigs of data, it took about four days, they, they did it kind of low and slow, took three gigs of data, and we never, heard, we never saw that human attacker again. Ooh. So they worked from uh, April 2nd to April 6th. After April 6th, no sign of that human attacker oh. again. Have you seen any sign of the data that was, I mean, obviously it was all worthless data, but there were markers, surely. So have you seen those markers appear anywhere? We have not yet seen them. So if the, the attacker was to look at the data itself that they exfiltrated, would it immediately be like, oh, it's not of a, that it's, it's just completely garbage? That was, that was really just junk data. So I imagine either the human attacker looked at the data and then figured out that it wasn't very interesting, very valuable, or they suspected that we're, they're probably onto a, a honeypot. Well, I mean, it, obviously the, the big fear is if I go back, I'm going to get vanned, so they wouldn't want to return. But you, you got to wonder, curiosity, be like, okay, if this is garbage, then what the hell was that? And they go back in and start poking around more to try to, you know there's going to be somebody who's curious. Um, you finished this, this particular test in two months. Are you planning to do additional tests? So are you going to stick with the financial services or are you going to try to look at other verticals? And We're going to look at um, uh, industrial control systems, Air control systems. So we're going to try to uh, we're going to try to establish honeypots around different verticals, and try to see if we're looking at different profiling. Any consideration to set up a hospital? I think that could be a wonderful a option. Group? I think that could be a wonderful option. That would be kind of fun to to see uh, how the bots interact with uh, a heart monitor, for example, or a. Uh, a remote uh, diagnostic tool for pacemakers and things to see what they're they're playing with. But that would, if you do, I'd certainly like to, to see that. That would be fun. So aside from the test results, I know you guys are out here in, in RSA having meetings. Uh, what what else are you working on coming up? Wow. Well, we got we got a lot coming up, right? So outside of the you know the incident detection visibility, response infrastructure, and the NGAV or the preventative capabilities, we're, at, we're adding threat intel integration on top of that so you can essentially, act, you can create actionable threat intel, right? The idea is to, for each of our detections, you'd be able to get the broader context of what else we've seen around that particular actor or that particular TTP, right? Based on extensive threat intel sources. You'll see in addition to that, significant effort on additional contextualization, mm -hmm. right? So one of the things that we obviously focus on a lot is how do we make an incident um, clear in terms of its full context to an analyst? So we're investing heavily, and you'll see that here, in further explaining that full context end-to-end -end, uh, story, attack story, to an analyst that's using our technology. Nice, nice. So Israel, where if uh, people want to keep up with you uh, online, like say on one of the social channels or uh, just outside of the, the business context, where can they find you? Well, that's probably uh, best to either go on LinkedIn, Israel <laughs> Barak, LinkedIn, yeah. or Twitter, Israel Barak 3. Nice, nice. So this has been Salted Hash. I'm your host, Steve Reagan. Thanks again for coming out and talking with us. I, I appreciate it. Uh, like I said earlier, we are out here all week during RSA, and I'll be shooting some things. So if uh, you would like to keep up with Cyber Reason or myself, stay tuned to CSOonline.com, and we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. Cool.